You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan Robinson Lees. Dylan Logue grew up in Wentworth Falls and attended Blue Mountains Grammar School. Through his upbringing and schooling years, Dylan developed a passion for creativity and spent countless hours exploring and experimenting with screenwriting and filmmaking. After high school and despite initial rejection, Dylan was accepted into the Australian Film, Television and Radio School to study screen production. The experience, whilst challenging at times, helped refine Dylan's craft and instilled a sense of resilience and promoted the importance that collaboration has in screen production. Dylan has also adopted fiction writing and is in the draft stage of his maiden novel, a process which started organically. Dylan joins us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Dylan, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you. Dylan, you studied screen production at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Um, You had a couple of knockbacks getting in and a couple of challenges along the way. But what did you learn professionally and what skills did you, d- you develop from that course? Mainly, I think what afters teaches you, particularly if you've been a bit of a one-man army kind of filmmaker, particularly if you're at school, you just run around with a camera and get your friends to be actors and it's just you. Uh, afters will probably teach you to work in a team quite a lot because you have to. There is nothing else you can really do in filmmaking if you want to. It is pretty much just learn to work in a team and learn all different roles gain experience and all the different roles uh, it's just it is essentially come join a team and work at how it all is meant to function properly essentially was there a mix of kind of practical work theory work as well throughout the course oh yeah they sort of they sort of flipped between it depending on the day really some of it was um very theoretical so there was a lot of um uh, there was a subject called screen studies where you'd watch movies in a particular time period from a particular country and it's Breaking down, okay, well, you know, how did they do it? How did this film impact uh, filmmaking, I guess is a good way to uh, put it. Uh, the controversial one was we watched uh, what was Triumph of the Will, so, you know, the Nazi propaganda movie. And while you do sit there and watch, well, that's an incredible shot. This is, But this is Nazi propaganda. It's also very boring. <laughs> if anyone wants to watch it, it is the most boring thing I've ever seen. It's so dull. <laughs> Nothing happens. It's just a lot of people walking around and some shouting. That's about it. That study of the past and film, I guess, that's come before you, how important do you think that is for any screenwriter or filmmaker to have just an appreciation for what's come before them? Well, it's probably one of the more... I don't think you necessarily always need to know exactly how everything worked in the past, but having an understanding of it is, is, is important in a way that if you understand how it's all worked before, you can work at how to change it up or fight back against it or comment on it or build upon it or depending on whatever you're doing. So, I mean, if you want to make a hero's journey, I would argue you might want to go back and <laughs> read about it, watch a lot of movies, including Star Wars and nearly every other film ever made, and then you can happily build on it, do it again, change it up, whatever. I think, yeah, if you having an understanding of where films come from is pretty worthwhile because you'll actually understand why it's come out the way it has and how it's developing right now, how it may develop in the future and how you hope to play some sort of role in its development further. Are there any screenwriters or filmmakers or films generally that you resonate with that really stand out to you? Um, There is a few. I'm not... I find my... um, I'm not sure if this is a film school thing, 
but I the the kind of writer directors or the material that I've always responded to has always been a bit of a I'm not sure, I think I guess I'd say left of field not very not a lot of people would watch them and then if they did watch them they'd probably go, come away thinking I'm not entirely sure what that was all about so a good example would be uh the latest one the second last movie I saw in cinemas before coronavirus shut it down um uh the lighthouse by Robert Eggers a very 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 weird <laughs> just really strange black and white uh filmed in what was it an aspect ratio that hadn't been used since the 1930s. I mean, it's just the most bizarre story done in a really interesting way, but that's the kind of material I'd respond to because it's just, I sit there half the time trying to work out what, what is the director up to, what are they thinking? And the answer usually is, oh, I'm just, you know, just going for it. <laughs> I've got no reason. <laughs> when you go and see a film at the cinema these days, do you find you, you are kind of in work mode that you're kind of critiquing it or do you, do you pick and choose when you go to the movies? I try to avoid picking and choosing because otherwise I'll end up not seeing a big wide variety of stuff. But I think I kind of just watch all movies the same way I usually do, which is part of me will enjoy it and part of me will just sit there watching it going, oh, I wonder how they did that. Or, oh, is this act two end now? Where are we heading to next? Because the last one I saw was The Way Back, the Ben Affleck basketball sport movie. Very traditional, very straightforward, nothing too incredible. But, you know, it was fun. But, you know, I would... I'd see it again because it was just fun. But if you don't, I mean, if you don't go out there and watch movies you wouldn't necessarily be interested in, you're never going to find something in the, you know, diamond in the rough sort of, oh, I better, I better go watch that again. That was damn good. Ooh. And doing your time at Afters, how did you grow personally and what did you learn on a personal level? I think I learned a few different things because as I said before, Afters, I was a, I don't want to say loner, but it was any time I made a movie at the school or just by myself with some friends, it was, you know, uh, one other guy, me and an actor and maybe a prop. And that's sort of it. I think going to afters was sort of a, a sea change in that just, just getting used to working with a lot of other people in a very different context. And also because I had never really, I don't want to say I never left the mountains or something like that, but I just hadn't gone to the city very much. So that was part of it was sort of going, okay, start traveling to do more stuff. Okay. Meet more people. I don't know. Just, I think personally it was just growing up, I guess is a good way to put it. And did you find your work expanded create creatively as a result of your time at afters? I think so. Yeah. Cause I think, because you know, there's always the first year projects that you go back and watch and go, Oh God, oh, I hope I don't do that anymore. But there, there was definitely some, uh, I guess you call it evolution or at least some changes of instead of doing films that are these very existential, weird one man in a room talking about why he kills people to, uh, you know, uh, it was, I think it was a proof of concept of a young adult book about a teenage girl dealing with grief. You know, I'd sort of, if you, uh, if you'd asked me at the beginning of afters, whether I'd go and make something like that, I would have said, what? No, no <laughs> boring. No. But now I think I've grown more, I've got a more appreciation for things I hadn't necessarily made before or considered so yeah I think you know it's all part of the journey and Dylan you grew up in Wentworth Falls at the top of the Blue Mountains what was your childhood like very very quiet I think was a, was a good way to put it rather I did enjoy it I'm not gonna lie it was pretty a lot of fun to be had mainly was um I think my childhood I think I was sort of just left to my imagination most of the time I didn't get uh, I mean, I didn't actually read or watch a lot. I didn't read a lot of books. I didn't watch a lot of movies until I was older. So mainly it was just me running around the backyard pretending something was happening, usually a war of some sort, <laughs> whether based on a real one or just one of my own creation. It was just 
run around, have fun, come back inside. But okay, that was a good day. How important do you think that sense of exploration and just freedom to to I guess escape and find adventure is for any any kid growing up? I was. I think it's one of the most important things, and maybe something. I'm not sure if it's something. You know, I don't want to get. I don't want to sound like an old man and say, "Oh, kids have lost it these days. They don't. They don't go outside and play with sticks." But I think there is something to be said about instead of a kid pulling out a phone and watching. I mean, it could be watching anything that's really terrible to really good. Who knows? But I think there is something about putting a kid in the backyard and saying, "Oh, go off and play," and here's a friend to go do it with. I mean, I think that I think I think people still do that, but I think there's something great about letting people just run around and explore and have some fun, get lost in their own head a bit. And what role did your family have on your upbringing? Did they instill that sense of freedom in you and provide, I guess, like a, a platform to, to, for you to chase your passions or your creativity? Uh, yeah, totally. They didn't, um, there was no, it's not as if I got to year seven and they said, okay, to become a doctor, which you will do, you have no other choice, you must do <laughs> these things. They just sort of said, oh, whatever you want to do, whatever it is, but... I think it was because I also said I wanted to be a movie maker pretty... I think by like, uh, 12 or 13, I said, yeah, I think I want to be a filmmaker. They thought, oh, okay, cool. Uh, do you need any help? <laughs> that was kind of it. They didn't... There, was no, there, wasn't, there wasn't too much of a guiding hand or uh, suggesting, you know, you should really be a plumber or you should really go do this or that, something a bit more sensible, <laughs> something more reliable as well, considering uh, the current state of 2020, <laughs> the flu pandemic, but yeah. You, you mentioned that yeah, you know, twelve, thirteen. You you knew you wanted to be a movie maker, and prior to the chat, you told me that as a kid you would experiment with short films. You'd be reading a lot. Do you recall what it first felt like? You know, when you were behind the lens and and creating movies, was there a specific emotion or feeling that came with it? Mm, I think it's it's hard to say because the first movie I made, I was an actor and not a, a the guy behind the camera. I was just the. the <laughs> I was the person the cameraman was chasing as I ran around in circles doing whatever it was. But I think it was, um, I think, I'm not sure what the feeling was, but I think I got this, the itch for it. I thought, no, this is fun. This is good. I get to like stitch a story together or sort of connect all these shots to tell, uh, tell a series of events that lead to some sort of culmination. So yeah, I got that. I got, I think it was, I'm not sure if it's a sense of control where I get to sort of orchestrate some sort of narrative to occur or just, it was just fun. <laughs> And was the thought, yes, you wanted to be a movie maker, was the thought that this is going to be my career or was it always at that point a bit of a hobby? I think it's both. <laughs> I, I thought, uh, well, you know, even if I don't make it as a filmmaker or at some point I go, okay, I've got to go do something else, it's taking too long or something along those lines, I always thought, no, this is, I'll probably keep doing this in the background in some way. And if it becomes my career, then yippee, thank God. Oh, oh please. <laughs> And was creativity, generally speaking, a large part of your upbringing? Was was that something that you liked just to, whether it's a pen and paper or the camera, did you just like being creative and, as you said, kind of writing your own story? Uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's an everyday activity, but it was pretty constant. I've still got, I still find uh, pages that have been stapled together and in the bottom of some box left in whichever wardrobe, and I think, oh, what's this? And I read it and go, oh, okay, all right, go. I've improved, thank God. <laughs> and how important do you think that is? Though you, you, you talk about, yes, you've improved, but part of the creative life is just churning out content, right? Like mm. you need to be willing to put out stuff that maybe isn't perfect to learn from that, but also to, to I guess, build your work. Is that how you view it? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I'm sure there's um, people out there that can uh, 
spend uh, 20 years making their film, which if you want to and can, uh, go ahead, because it sounds like it should be perfect by the end. But at a certain point, yeah, you need, I think, to be a filmmaker in this day and age, you probably need that bit of get it done, get it out the door, the next one you can learn more from. And there's been a few projects along the way like that where still been sitting on them thinking, ah, I probably should just leave this alone because if it's still not done, then obviously there's something wrong with it or I'm not prepared to release it or something along those lines. What influence did school have on your, I guess, love for, for writing, creativity and filmmaking and, and how were you able to, I guess, balance the practical and the theory through your school years? In high school it was, because it wasn't really until, I think, high school that the interest started that it did, there wasn't a whole lot of balancing issues to go along until probably I think maybe year 11 or year 12 when you have to start making some sort of decisions about you know what subjects do you want to do oh what do you want to do after school blah, blah, blah. and I think there were quite a few teachers who were quite keen and they were very supportive in saying no you can do this if you want to do this here are ways you can go about it and then if I came in with some questions they would always have answers if I came in with questions they didn't have answers for they'd go okay look over here yeah, I think, yeah, throughout high school there was a lot of support to follow whatever you wanted to do because I think, at, particularly at um, Blue Mountains Grammar School, at least at that time, I'm not sure what it is quite now, there was quite a strong performing arts drive, and but mainly it was uh, musical and stuff like that. So I think, I think they were excited to get a kid more interested in film. I think it has gone up since then. I've gone back to do mentoring with a few HSC kids about short films and the number of them do seem to keep rising, so... I think there's going to be a lot of filmmakers out there now. So, And how thankful are you looking back at that time, the fact that teachers kind of took you under their wing and, and supported? Because I'd imagine there'd be a lot of high school students who, in any field of you know, if the creatives, might get a pushback and say, you know, you need to do maths, science, mm-hmm. etc. Like, do you look back thankfully at that time and the teachers that supported you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I'm not sure. I think I would still be in film even without their help, but with their help, made it a lot easier, I think, which is why every so often I will go back and help them out with whatever they're doing, because, you know, it's worth, you know, if they're going to give something to you, you should give back and help them out. And through school, at high school, were there certain projects that you were working on, um, or did you kind of keep that separate to school? You know, your, your projects were all at home. It started off being at home, and then eventually there are opportunities that come up through the school that you start using. So in year 12 drama you do a uh, you do a group project and then you do an individual project the individual project you can do uh, as a short film um, so basically as soon as I learned I could do that I thought well I'm just going to do that why <laughs> I'm not going to do it I'm not doing a performance I'm going to make a movie let's go and that was that was a lot of fun that was I think that's still my favorite thing I've made were you most proud of I guess the quality of the work or the fact that you got it done what what stands out for you I think it, I think what stood out to me about it was it was uh, I mean, it was short, it was to the point, it was focused, it got, it was marked very well, a lot of people liked it, appreciated it, a lot of people understood it, which was good, there wasn't a whole lot of scratching heads going, I really don't know what you made that for, I really don't understand, you really should go do something else, no, there was a lot of, I think a lot of people appreciated it, and I think I learned a lot out of, I learned a lot from it, considering it was just me and two other friends. Your first year out of high school um, was quite challenging for you. Why, why was that? It was challenging because it was because um, in my head, my plan was since since year eleven, I knew okay, I'll probably go to the Australian Film, Television, and Radio School, and that'll be my university. And through that, I'll learn more, grow, and 
I don't know, follow my opportunities as they come, however it works. But uh, what I remember about it was, I remember applying for afters and a few other places, uh, getting knocked back by afters for their main course, the bachelor course, uh, but getting into their, it's an adv- it was an advanced diploma at the time, so it was, and it was part-time, but it was very extreme part-time, sort of five weekends in a year sort of thing, you know, so not very labor-intensive. So it kind of left me and stuck in the position of not doing a whole lot. It was kind of like a gap year, but I didn't actually get to go anywhere. <laughs> so it was just a lot of sitting around wondering what to do and very, uh, I think that, I'm not sure that's a good thing for a creative mind to be sitting there doing nothing because I think doubt and confusion just get inside your head and you don't do a whole lot. Yeah. That rejection from afters, was there reason behind it? Was it a, a grades thing? Did they indicate any feedback to help you, you know, get in, in the future? Uh, not particularly, but I think what it was was they just had so many people applying because I think the the bachelor course they introduced was only, I think it was only two years old by the time that I applied. So I think they had a lot of interest in it and they could only take however many students. So I think they were just trying to keep it from being 500 people at the school at any one time, you know, so I don't, I don't blame them for that. I can't imagine that. Oh, that would have been a pain. <laughs> and that year, um, the gap year, as you referred to, what role did your writing and your creativity play? Because as I said, it was it was tough. It was a bit of confusion. You weren't exactly sure what was going on. How was writing an outlet for you during that time? Uh, it was good, but I didn't I didn't get to write a whole lot because I don't think I was in the uh, I wasn't really in the mindset for it. So I was sort of half baking ideas, I guess. And some of them have you know read their head, read their head later on and been useful, but. I think it was almost that year was the struggle of having too much time to actually write anything at all. So, yeah, not not the most productive year, but luckily, thank you, got in next year and found some structure and got back to work and managed to get some stuff done, which is good. I've spoken to a few creatives during the COVID period mm. and it's almost a bit of a, a cop-out when you're hearing people say, oh, why don't you write a book during COVID or why don't you make a film during COVID while you've got all this time? Do you find that that kind of external pressure, does that make you kind of, I guess, restrict your creativity or does it motivate you and fire you up to to produce content? Uh, I mean, at first it didn't, it wasn't very helpful because just all the things you're working on suddenly have to be reconsidered and shuffled around. And I mean, I was on set. (laughs) I was on set as a first AD on a small little short film being paid very well. And, and then we just shut down after a day because, oh, okay, we can't do it anymore. Like, there's nothing we can do about this. Um, and, I mean, this is way early in the pandemic when no one knew how quickly it would really strike at first. But, and, and there's a lot of pro- projects I was going to be doing middle of the year, which are now, you know, end of year, maybe beginning of next year. So, but there is that feeling of, well, I've got all this free time. Surely I should be able to achieve something in all this free time. And uh, luckily, there are still a few people from afters I work with pretty closely so we do have ideas of what we can and what we probably will do that are more I don't want to say COVID friendly but are a bit more achievable in this sort of environment because a few of the things we were going to do are just very impractical or impractical due to COVID and the restrictions we'd have to work with but also we just know that if we're the ones that screw it over <laughs> it's going to be really annoying and we really don't want to risk it for a, you know, a small little short film we'd prefer to do it as safe as we can so sort of let some things lie and see how we go. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. 
Whether it's The Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, The Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. You are a writer, Dylan. Um, you know, you, you've been writing for a little while now and you've just recently finished you know, the first draft of your book, which is 500 pages and 300,000 words. What was the motivation behind starting that book? Mainly it was, um, I think, because I've always had an interest in, when I started reading, I should say, when I finally started reading and actually enjoying it, I did think, oh, I could, I could actually enjoy this. And then I was doing all the short films, got into afters, I think I was getting a bit, well, I was learning a whole lot from after sort of the, um, you know, teamwork and just how, how much effort you have to put in to try and get something made. Um, I was sort of put off by just the amount of work that even a small little production that may need however many few thousands of dollars you would have to, you'd have to work at for so long just to see if you could get it made. And even then you would get nothing in return necessarily. So I thought, well, maybe being an author would be a better outlet because it means I can write but also, if I write 10,000 men charge across a battlefield, no one's going to be like, oh, look, you know, we can't really film that because we don't have 10,000 people. We've got two. So I thought, okay, maybe there's some practicalities about it that I would rather enjoy. And getting to work alone also sort of might be a nice outlet. So there are a few things. I think I just enjoyed it enough and I thought, yeah, okay, I'll just keep going. And when you sit down, you know, of a day or a night to, to get writing, do you have a particular routine to kind of stimulate thought and stimulate creativity? I do. I have tried a few different routines to see which one would be the one to finally get it to work. But no, it's sort of. I go through a a series of routines. <laughs> I think is the best way to put. It. I start off with one way, and then I go to a different one. So I started off with when I finally got a chance. When I had, a, I had three months off, and I had a sort of okay. Well, every day I'll just get to writing and see if I can get to the end, which I didn't. But I got close. I swear. But um, it was all right. So in my house in the mountains, there's a. Uh, not my house, I should say, my parents' house where I was lovingly being let to stay. <laughs> um, there's big, there was a big fireplace room, so what I did was I'd put a beanbag at the centre of the room, have the laptop on the legs, have earmuffs on, all the windows shut, and that's how I would write because it was just no distractions, uh, you know, screen and keyboard pretty close ha- at hand. And that worked quite well. And then eventually, <laughs> after it started up again, I had to go back and do more work, and it just got, oh, it got very slow. And then at that point, it was um, sitting wherever I could to try and get some time in for it. But yeah, it just, what, uh, whatever routine I had fell away. So I might have to go back to that routine, <laughs> see if I can get it back. But well, you never know. We've had uh, Jodie McLeod on the Passion and Perspective podcast, another local writer. And she spoke about, for her, she likes to just put something down on paper every day. It might be 20 words, it might be 200, and almost just the starting of the process prompts the creativity is that something that you've you've looked at or again it's more you need to just wait for that creativity to come to you well I've done both (laughs) there are some there are some periods where I've got too many things to do so it just sort of slips away and then when I have the time I usually end up usually every day I'll do something I'll write something not not much necessarily but either it's okay today is the book day so let's get more done on the book and then some days it's Oh, the podcast narrative. Yeah, yeah, we've got to, okay, I've got to rewrite that. And then I spent a few hours staring at it, trying to make it work. So I don't know, every day you do end up writing something. And I did have, that is how I actually started writing the book was I had a, my friend gave me a tiny little notebook. I think it was a Game of Thrones notebook. So I, I think it was just a, oh, here's a gift. Thanks. Cheers, like, oh, mate. 
I've got to thank it because actually it helped. But um, it was every morning I would get up and I'd write a page of it because it was so small. It wasn't actually that many words. So I thought, I can achieve this. And then as I was writing that, I thought, oh, this is actually a story. And that became chapter one. So, you know, I think, yeah, there's probably, <laughs> there's actually probably a lot that can be said for that method <laughs> now that I think about it. And where does your inspiration come from, Dylan? Is it come from your interpretation of the world or your personal experiences or perhaps a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I, I mean, it, it depends. Sometimes it, I, I try not to use my personal experience too much as a, a starting off point because I think that's a bit, I don't know, it's, maybe that's getting cutting too close to home almost, but I think your personal experiences will just influence whatever you write anyway. So, I mean, you know, if I was writing a, um, I don't know, a young adult romance story, even though I would hate that, I'm sure there's some part of my life that would just slowly creep in whether I meant it to or not. But no, mainly I think, for me, it's mainly inspiration from whatever I'm seeing, you know, and that's just looking at something and going, oh, that's interesting, and then look over somewhere else a year later at something else and go, oh, those two things together would be pretty cool. Okay, yeah. I think a lot of people doing are guilty of, they might put out a piece of work to get a, you know, approval. They might get, want to get feedback from... 10, 15, 20 different people, but what that actually does is puts a handbrake on the project and mm. everyone else kind of has their own perspective on that. Throughout writing this book, you know, 500 pages, were you regularly picking up feedback from other people or were you comfortable just plowing ahead based on kind of your own uh, self-reflection of your work? Uh, I didn't do it too much. There was a few people... When I said, oh, I'm you know, writing a book, they said, oh, can I read some of them? I'm sure, fine, no, cool, it's not, it's 500 pages. If you're prepared to read that, then go ahead, you're pretty, uh, thank you. <laughs> but um, no, I think, I mean, feedback's useful. It's up to you whether you listen to any of it or not. You know, if it's someone you trust and you think they're smart, and I think when you get a pe- uh, particular criticism and you're sort of umming and ahhing about it, maybe you actually realize, no, they're actually right, I probably should consider this. But um, no, because the way I started it was I wrote the first chapter and then the New South Wales Writers Centre were doing um, manuscript appraisals, not for a full book, but for uh, the first 20 pages or, you know, whatever one chapter is technically. So I put it into that because it was focused on young adult and I thought, okay, this could be good because I was considering uh, continuing this book rather than another one I had in mind. And when I went and did that, it was that was quite good because the uh, the lady, um, Leonie uh, Tile, who worked, who's worked in publishing in a lot of different areas and she does manuscript appraisals, basically, uh, basically said, no, this is pretty good, you should keep at it. And I thought, okay, cool. It wasn't necessarily approval, you should go do it. It was more just, I'm just curious to hear what someone thought about it. <laughs> and when you're looking at the, the book, did you have, in your mind, start point, middle point, end point, or was it literally every chapter something new we're going to see where this adventure goes? Uh, oof. I mean, it's a bit of both. I think... Um, I knew exactly where I'd started. I knew exactly where the midpoint or, you know, the, I knew, I knew details and twists that would occur. I had no clue what the ending was. And it wasn't until I was going down for the manuscript appraisal that I thought, oh, actually, actually, that could be a good ending. That could actually work. That's, that sort of suits. That's not too bad. So I knew, I knew bits of it. I didn't know all of it. You know, I don't think you need to know all of it. I think you just need to know a few important beats that you can, you can sort of walk yourself towards or if you decide against them, just change it up and go away from it. And in your writing, Dylan, in the, the descriptions and the detail you include, how much are you trying to prescribe to the reader or are you trying to keep it quite open-ended for them to shape their own story to a degree? Uh, it sort of depends on what writing you're doing. If it's a novel, 
I feel like my novels are very detailed. I think I picked that up from uh, whatever books I was reading. Probably George R. R. Martin and A Song of Ice and Fire, where he describes everything in such amazing detail that it takes forever. But um, I think I think in a novel you're sort of allowed to add a bit more detail. I mean, it depends what you're writing, and it depends. You know, if you're writing in first person, maybe the character isn't going to describe everything in such high detail. But then again, maybe it's the kind of character that is going to just describe everything in amazing detail because they're observant or something like that. Or if you're writing that's in, uh, writing something in third person, are you? I, it really just does depend what angle you're coming at it from. And then if you're writing a script, it's again, it's sort of up to the writer, not anyone else's input. But usually what we've been taught about script writing is don't keep your description short and to the point, but also detailed, I guess is the best way to put it. So don't say there's a house on a hill, say there's a mansion on top of a cliff, you know, something that gives you more of an idea of what you're looking at, but also is short, because <laughs> you don't want to go over the... You don't want to take 100 million pages to explain something. And is there a particular writer that you look up to that really inspires you? Uh, there's a, I think... I think there's just different writers as you go along. I know for books, for novels, it was... Um, I think the first writer I really liked was George R. R. Martin. I think... I think I because I remember I watched part of the Game of Thrones show and thought, oh, this is not bad. I should read the book, and then read the books and thought they were really incredible stuff. So I thought, okay, he's really good. I'll I'll do something like this, as every uh, artist does at the beginning, <laughs> copy other people. And then there's you know I finally I heard of, uh, Stephen King's It, whatever it was. I heard the movie was coming out and I'd heard about there was some story about a crazy murderous clown and thought, okay, well, I guess this could be interesting. And then you pick up the book and it's one thousand one hundred bloody pages and oh god what's he done and I, th- and I think there's a bit of I like a bit of Stephen King's writing not all of it but I enjoy some of it and then there's just writers that along the way write the really interesting weird little books that don't necessarily go anywhere they're just sort of these strange little <laughs> stories you find along the way including um, there was one by an author whose name I forget <laughs> sorry sorry to this author if you do hear this but um, it was a book called uh, A Child's Book of True Crime Australian author really strange a really engaging book. It's very short, but it was just, I don't know, <laughs> credit to a book called A Child's Book of True Crime that manages to keep your attention because you just sit there going, I really don't, I don't know what inspired this. <laughs> this is quite cool and interesting. And uh, ABC, if you're listening, I really would appreciate if someone would have make it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure they'd make it, to be honest. It's too weird. And where to next for your book? You know, draft one is done, 500 pages done. Is it publishing? Is that the next step? Is it another draft? Where to from here? Uh, at the moment, it's rewriting because it's in the rewrite process. Because at the moment, it's draft one is five hundred pages and it's three hundred something thousand words. It is, as you said, uh, can't actually be that long, really, if you want to do a young adult book, which is what technically it is. So at the moment, it's uh, split the book in the middle because there's a nice sort of tipping off point in the middle that is a, sort of suits the ending. So I thought, okay, uh, make it shorter by half, <laughs> make it easier for me and uh, accidentally create two books out of one. Didn't mean to do that, but hopefully, you know, someone comes along and they think, oh, it's good, the next one's already done, this is great. <laughs> that would save a lot of effort. But yeah, at the moment it's rewriting that to get it uh, under length, a bit more focused, get the story right a bit better, I think. I mean, draft one can be good, but usually you have to go over it a few times to ensure that, no, this is actually what I want, because despite the fact I really don't like a lot of young adult fiction because it's very glossy and romantic and just sort of well, I don't know just every once in a while you've, there's some books I really don't enjoy because there's just some things about it I, 
I really don't like this wishy-washy love story. This is really not very good. And then I accidentally put a bit of it in mind and think, okay, I'm changing that. I can't do this. I've got to be, I've got to, be, I've got to keep to my <laughs> values. I don't like reading this, therefore I should not write too much of it. Just enough. Do you have any advice, Dylan, for any creatives who are looking to start a project, looking to get in that creative flow of spoken about? I mean, the only advice, I mean, depending what you, you, you're wanting to do, I guess, I mean, there's a few things you can do. One of them is, if you want to be a writer per se, and that's uh, screen pl- uh, writing scripts or writing books or you know writing anything, the answer to that is go read a lot. Because <laughs> if you read a lot of scripts, you'll start picking up, okay, this is how they're done. These are the things I like. These are the things I don't like. If you read a lot of books, you'll start picking up, okay, I really like writing that's like this, but I don't really like writing like that. And then if you, you know, if you like poetry, you'll start, you know, you'll pick it up pretty quick what you like and what you don't like. And if you're wanting to make movies, go watch a lot of movies and you'll start picking up things you don't like, but you like. I mean, some of it is you need to go find out what's there to work out what you enjoy. And then mainly it's go after it. Because the only way you're going to learn to make a movie is by going and making one. And whether that's you and a bunch of friends in the backyard with a camera or on a big massive film set where you get paid too much money, uh, you know, you'll learn something. The best, the best way to learn is by doing half the time. And at a certain point, then you should go learn theory to make sure you're not going <laughs> to screw it up too badly. But learn by doing is really the best way, I've always thought. And just touching on your book, again, in the process of writing, do you have plans that it becomes a book and then eventually ends up on screen as well? Or is it more one, one step at a time and then see what happens? I think it's one step at a time, but I did think of that at first because the one thing I've rarely seen is uh, a book that's been adapted to a movie or a TV show that's done by the author. I think it's happened, there's only one time I know of it, I'm sure there's more, but the one time I know of it, there's a, 90, I think it's 1980s horror film called Hellraiser, really creepy, weird, but it was, the film was written and directed by the author of the book, which I thought was pretty, ooh, I can do that, can I? Ooh, I'm allowed to, okay, I'll do that if I can. Does that, ex- does that excite you that your skill set could match that, that you could be the author of it and also the director? Oh yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be so. That'd be interesting because it means I would, I must say, thinking of what I've got so far written, I'd think, oh, how could I change it up visually? What would be the... Cause, because, because a novel is, can be so inside a character's head and you know they can be explaining everything they're thinking or at least touching upon it, doing that visually is a bit of a, oh God, what... <laughs> This guy, you know, this guy walks from one part of town to the other, but he has a whole journey of thinking about stuff. How do I... In film, it's just, oh, look at him walk. In the book, it's, oh, he's having some really hard thoughts today about life, the universe, and everything. How do I, t- how do I translate this now? And Dylan, do you use writing as an outlet generally in terms of, you know, do you journal day to day, or is it more, if you're writing, it's for the purpose of a novel, screen, or a book? Uh, it's, kind of, it's sort of both depends on the day I don't know I try not to be too stringent on it I do have I don't really have a journal I have a work journal that's more for thinking like uh, uh, writing while thinking so I'll write out plans and ideas and sort of you know bookmark it for later if I feel like I need to go back and check something or if I'm stuck on the book I, this has happened a few times now if I'm stuck on the book and it's been a week and I'm like why haven't I gone back to this I'm not I haven't actually achieved a whole lot this week is there a reason I didn't sit down and do the book I'll write in the journal okay well what What's the problem? Because obviously there's an issue with where I got up to and obviously I need to think about it. And then, you know, hopefully I come up with some answer by just thinking about it. But it is impressive how long you can get stuck just sitting in a chair thinking. (laughs) And with those roadblocks that are inevitably going to come up, are you happy just 
parking the project for as long as you need to and then revisiting it another time or do you feel that pressure to, to always stay on top of the, these projects? I prefer staying on top of the projects but again it, it sort of depends on what the roadblock is. If it's a small roadblock like um, today I was rewriting a part of the book and I just got to a point where I was just just one paragraph just wouldn't neatly get into the next paragraph because there was just there was too much distance between one action and the other and I just I got really annoyed with it so I was like okay I can't I can't touch it today obviously I'm just not prepared to sit here and solve it so that's tomorrow's job I think but um but there are other projects we've had in the past uh one project I had at afters where we made a it was it would have been a pilot episode for a web series and originally when we were making the pilot episode, we were all thinking, oh yeah, this is the web series. We are going to go make this. This As soon as we're done this at Afters, we are moving on to making it. And pretty much as soon as we were done with it, because, well, it was, well, <laughs> I've never been so overworked. But as soon as we got it done and we had feedback and all this sort of stuff, we did kind of, we had a writer's meeting a few times where we uh, sort of built on, okay, what would happen next and what should we do? And Eventually, we were just sitting there like, well, it doesn't quite work. Why is this not working? Is the story not working? Is the character not working? Uh, should we go back and refilm the pilot for things we might want to change? You know, there was a lot of, um, there was just a lot of things we couldn't really solve in a few meetings. So we have, we parked it then. And I think we're going to bring it back pretty soon in a more simplified way, dropping some of the stuff that didn't really work. But, you know, so, I mean, we'll see how that goes. But some, it, it does depend on the roadblock. If it's a major story issue, it's, if it's a, if it's not just a, oh, for some reason the character just doesn't sound right today. If it's more of a, this character literally would never ever do this, and some of the some of the stuff in this really doesn't make any sense, then I would advise putting it on a shelf for a while, and then hopefully with some time you can come back and solve whatever issues you had with it. But I mean, I know that's um, one of the books I read on writing. Uh, I think it's actually called On Writing by Stephen King. Uh, he would because because he writes book at, books at the speed of light. I don't know lunatic but um he said he always finishes a draft and then puts it away for a few weeks and then he comes back because when he comes back he'll have you know see the wood from the trees sort of stuff you know you can actually read it properly without the malaise of oh isn't this wonderful oh it's nearly done thank god and do you think that patience is key for any writer just to be willing to see the long-term benefit of, of kind of holding tight and not rushing through a project yeah i think i think um as if you're creative depending on you know whatever profession you're going after i think you need to have a bit of you need a you need some you need some <laughs> grunt work to get through it you need to be okay i need to get this done but also you need to if you're hitting a roadblock that is a real roadblock a proper uh, this is really not working i shouldn't waste my time on this sort of stuff then you should have the patience to put it aside and think about it later because if you release something you're not happy with then you're kind of just wasting time <laughs> maybe not wasting time but you know, you've got to be satisfied with it in some way. Otherwise, even if you get to, you know, release the book, it's published. Oh, you know, a lot of people liked it. If you're sitting there going, you know, I'm glad I got paid for it. I'm glad it's done. But I think there's a lot about it that I would like to improve. And that's not just, I think that'll happen no matter what. That's in, in some sense, you know, release something and then you're watching it later thinking, oh, actually, there's a lot here I could do much better. But I think you should use that as inspiration for, okay, next time let's do this better. A whole lot better. Come on. <laughs> Oh, don't let this be my, my legacy, come on. And what is your measure of success doing with your writing? Is it internal kind of, I guess, um, self-reflection on your work or do you like to put it out there to be judged and, and measured by, by others? Both. Because <laughs> part of it is if I've written, uh, I know it more in the book, but when I've written something that I am very that I feel happy with, I go, okay, that was good. I've, I've hit, I've 
Maybe I haven't hit my page count that I would like to. Maybe I haven't written as much as I would like to. But there's something about this bit that works really well. I'm very happy with this. And I feel very satisfied that it actually managed to work. And the other times is um, if I have part of, parts of the book I've given away, if the person comes back and says, oh, you know, that was really miserable and sad. That was quite a sad part of the book. I go, oh, good. Good. That sad part was sad. Excellent. That's like, okay, good. No, I also appreciate criticism. I love it when people criticize me. Not in a... Uh, uh, loosey-goosey sort of way, more like a, um, I think there's some issues here, because it means, okay, do I agree with you, or, because if I agree with you, then I should fix it, if I don't agree with you, then, yeah, carry on full steam ahead. Dylan, you, along with your writing, you're also a screenwriter, and you've had time as a director and an assistant director as well, you, you mentioned that as a kid, you'd spent a lot of time in the backyard with the camera, making films, but what drew you specifically into that screenwriting and directing? I think it's because screenwriting and directing, you get to make, I don't want to say you get to make all the decisions because you don't really get to make all the decisions, but you get to have the vision that everyone's trying to help you achieve to make. And, um, and I think, and while look, I don't think any director really gets to make all the decisions they would really like to, because, you know, if you did, we'd never leave the set and we'd spend a billion dollars and there are some good things about restrictions, but, um, I think mainly what I liked about it was, and what I still do, I haven't stopped yet. <laughs> COVID hasn't stopped it yet. Um, I think it is just getting to make something that I think if you, and particularly if you get people to come along with you and help you out as, a, cause I like, I, um, I don't necessarily, from my experience, I've always enjoyed working more with a cinematographer than an actor, depending on the actor, of course, and whatever we're doing. If it's a role that doesn't require a whole lot of particular thought, then, you know, there's not nothing too, nothing in it very much, but, working with the cinematographer and sort of debating how to shoot something or how we can film this angle or maybe we should do it that way. I've always found that to be quite engaging and exciting and I recently had a conversation with a cinematographer about how to do a short film. We've had to postpone until maybe November, um, which was great. I loved his... I think part of it's that there's something there's something a lot of... There's something amazingly, I guess, uh, rewarding about putting... Because I gave him the script saying, okay, well, you know, just give me what you think. How would you go about it? And him coming back with this huge breakdown of, okay, well, <laughs> I want to do it this way, this way, this way. And I thought, excellent, you are bang on the money, and I want to do this, let's go do it. There's something really, oh, it gets, it gets you excited, I think, is what it is. And how does the directing and the screenwriting, how does that differ creative, creatively, I should say, to writing? Uh, screenwriting and directing, particularly if you do them together, because I think the reason a director may choose to also be a screenwriter is because you get to direct your own stuff. If you can be a director and direct other people's stuff, I think you're a very lucky person in a way because it means you can adapt to whatever is being given to you. But I think I think mainly what's different about it is um, when you write a script as a director, you're already thinking of a lot of different ways of going about it. Because if you're just a script writer, you're not entirely sure how it's going to be shot. You're just thinking, okay, well, story-wise, where are we going? What are we doing? What's being said? Who's this? What's going on? As a director, and if you're trying to write, if you're trying to write something, I find myself doing a lot of sort of sitting there already thinking, well, how am I going to film this? How's that going to work? Where do I have that location somewhere nearby so I don't have to pay for it? <laughs> so I don't have to really go down, take about five months to find this one location. I mean, there's a lot of the practicalities that would come into it, but creatively as well, it's sort of you're already thinking, okay, well, what's a way to talk to an actor about this particular scene or with this particular role or I mean, there was one we did where it was one actor talking to a camera for, I don't know, five minutes or something like that. Some scene where he just, he did not shut up. 
my fault because I wrote it. But there was a lot of talking to the guy about, okay, well, so, you know, because he was playing a stand-up comedian, it was sort of like, okay, so what kind of stand-up comedian do you want to play? How do you want to play it? What sort of, you know, what other comedians do we know that we can sort of pull from? And I really didn't get to talk to him as much as I wanted to just because of time and inexperience. It was a mixture of both. (laughs) He's standing there in the moment going, God, what do I, what should this be? And then suddenly the clock runs out and you go, ah, okay, film. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I think if you're writing and directing at the same time, so you're writing the script and going to go direct it, I think you end up putting a lot more thought into how you're practically going to do it, but also just in vision-wise, how does it look? How do I want it to look? And then finding the compromise between what you want and what you know you can probably get. You talked about that example there where, you know, you ran out of time plus a bit of inexperience. Again, do you just embrace those times though that you know what there's going to be times where again it's not perfect or I'm a bit rushed but I'm going to learn from that and not make that same mistake again yeah pretty much I mean there's no I mean if you're writing a book on your own you have all the time in the world to make all the mistakes and then go back and fix them all and I mean not all the time in the world eventually you will die so therefore you cannot go on forever but on set you only have so long in a location you only have so long with an actor you only have so long with some of the crew and I don't like the idea of like, keeping a crew for a good 20 hours in a day. That's a bit extreme. But also, I don't have the money to pay it. So, But yeah, there's a lot of... I think as a director, the first thing you're going to learn, particularly if, if, if you're out there and you want to be a director, one of the things you will definitely learn is your vision will never, ever be... It'll never be met. Don't, don't go into expecting it going to be met unless you have a whole lot of money and time. And even then, it's still probably not going to quite be perfect. There's only a few directors out there who I think have the... I think the drive to somehow get that perfection, but I think you kind of have to be prepared to adapt or change or let something slide. And it's knowing which things cannot, definitely cannot change and which things you you go, no, okay, we don't need that, but that's fine. Or, you know, not that, not that shot. Actually, you know what? Forget that line. Oh, you know what? Yeah. Just, just drop that. That's fine. Let's not worry about that part. Is that self-awareness something you think you've always had in terms of your, you're you're aware that okay if I sacrifice the one percent I'm actually going to make a, a bigger difference down the track. Have you always had that self awareness ingrained in you? Uh, may probably in a way not probably I think being at afters and making stuff regularly probably instilled it in me a bit more. I think I had it when I was a kid, but definitely not if I was creating something. I think I just had it in general where I got bored of something and thought you know what this would be more fun if we just dropped this and did that instead. You know let's go do that, but. Yeah, at that afters when we made a few different projects, there was there was a steep learning curve of okay, well, you know, we're not going to be able to get this. We can't do that. There's, uh, okay, well, it's just we're going to have to stick to it, <laughs> stick to our guns, and get it done as best we can in the time we have. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. director on a, a local project which was going to be a, a feature film but unfortunately it fell over how did you handle the adversity of that situation and how did that inspire you after that uh, with that project it was the problem with that one because it was it was kind of coming out of film school already possibly having a feature film up you know up for grabs and I did go into it thinking okay well, we could probably get to do this and if we did it'd be a lot of fun 
And if we, we did it well, oh, hell yeah, excellent. <laughs> Win some awards, oh yeah, I'll take that. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> offers to do more, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But um, I think going into it, even when we went when we went and met the author and had a chat and talked about how much we wanted to do it and stuff like that, and even though the author was quite positive on the whole affair, I think I think there was always a part of me that thought this is unlikely. Don't don't believe in it yet. Don't believe in it until the <laughs> don't believe in until until I'm next to the camera and the actors over there on set and we get to do it. That's that's when I th- that's when I can be like, okay, yeah, we're doing it. Let's go go go. But everything up to that point was in the back of the head, like, okay, this might not work because you know. Who knows? There's so many things that could get in the way. If we get to do it, brilliant. If we don't, plan doesn't change. Keep going, do something else. Where do you want to see your work in film go? Do you have grand ambitions for red carpet awards, etc.? Or is it more refining your skill and just continuing to churn out good quality content? I think mainly it's... um. Because I remember it after they asked us that at some point, it's going, "Are you here to win an Oscar or something like that?" And I, and I thought, "Well, I'm not sure. How, I'm not sure how I'd be if I'd win an Oscar. I think I'd be both proud and a bit off put by it. I'm not sure what I'd do. I'm sure I'd accept it. You know, I think everyone thinks, even people who are like yeah, the Oscars. No, 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 silly stuff. I'm sure they'd walk up there with smiles saying, "Thanks, Mum." But I think mainly what I would like is being able to, as you say, refine the work, get better and better at it until you make the masterpiece or you make something that you're really proud of and you're just glad you get to make it instead of do something else. What advice would you have, again, for other creatives, just just generally? What, what are some of the key lessons you've picked up both writing and in film? Are there just general tactics or general techniques that you, you think are valuable for, for people who perhaps don't yet have that experience or training behind them? Um... I think I think half of it is um, well. There's a lot of things you can learn, you know, technically about writing. You know, you can learn, you know, for film and books and novels. And, I mean, every story ever. You can learn the three act structure. Uh, three act structure. You can read up about how Star Wars has its, you know, a hero's journey, and you know that's been that structure has been used for a good many <laughs> thousands of years in stories. But I mean, at a certain point, there is just even without theory, you should just go and make something and see how it goes and think about it. I think reflection is going to be the way you learn by, uh, once you do something, sit back and think, okay, am I happy with that? How did that work? How could I do it better? I mean, Orson Welles, you know, (laughs) the incredible Orson Welles made a movie when he was 23, which is the movie that keeps being hailed as the best movie ever made. He didn't, he didn't do it. He didn't make a movie (laughs) fully trained knowing what he was doing. He said he just went into it and just did it, and here he is, he just made a movie, that's it, he didn't think about it, <laughs> he just went straight into it, so I think it's probably a mixture, I think you need a bit of perseverance to keep at it, you need, you need, uh, you kind of just need, yeah, <laughs> you need the perseverance to keep at it, you need the ability to go out there and just, just make it, try and throw, I don't want to say throw caution to the wind, but if you don't make anything, you'll never learn anything, or at least nothing that you can be sure of. You know, if you want to write books, but you've never written a page of stuff, then I mean, you're going to struggle, you know. <laughs> you should. The best way to learn to write is to go write and read other people who are writing. Uh, best way to make a movie, go watch a movie so you can learn how to make a movie and do it better than them, hopefully, or at least, you know, do it as good as you can. So I think it's learn by doing reflection and perseverance. I think those are the three things that will get you across the line, hopefully. And the career of a creative dealer, by no means linear. You know, you hear a lot of creatives <laughs> <No>. <laughs> toil away for 
decades upon a time, and then they, that's maybe when they get that big break. Are you aware of that, and does that kind of stimulate you that at some point it could all kick off and it could even be global? Like, you never know. Does that excite you? It does to a bit. It does a bit. I mean, yeah, I think it's just because it's in the uh, unknown, ambiguous future, you've no idea if the thing you're about to make is going to be, you know, boom. For some, for no good reason, it's just everywhere. For no, a bit like the guys who created South Park. I mean, they made a animation, put it on a videotape, didn't put their names on it, and it was sent around Hollywood, and then everyone's going, oh, who made this? Like, they didn't put their names on the thing that has now made them famous and they've made about 20-plus seasons of. I mean, like, what luck? I mean, also, it's good, you know. You know, they proved they could do something cool, but uh, who knows? Like, it's just like that. Every, every, I think every creative has that sort of... Every very famous uh, creative person has that sort of good luck moment of, oh, good Lord, where did that come from? I think... Um, yeah, the artist um, David Cho, I think it's David Cho, I could be wrong, apologies if I am wrong, but from my understanding was he was a famous artist, I think he used spray paint a lot, he'd uh, do graffiti, stuff like that, he was very good at it, and he was, before 2012, from my memory, he was running around doing all this sort of stuff, he was a relatively well-known artist, but not super big or anything like that, I mean, he was making uh, mini documentaries where he was um, hitchhiking across America, you know, so that sort of guy, really really intense, really interesting. And then one day, Facebook comes along and says, hey, could you paint our wall? <laughs> and he says, either we can pay you in uh, you know, money or in stocks. What do you want? And he chose stocks, and uh, here we are. <laughs> He's very famous, got a lot of money, very happy man, I hope. You know, I mean, what a... what? Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, what luck. <laughs> along the same lines, Dylan, do you believe that in life, as people, that you, you find yourself or you create yourself in terms of do you think the path is laid out for you or that every decision you make is going to get you to that end point? I think it's probably going to be every decision you make. I think, you know, every decision will sort of shift you from going one way or the other or pick you up and drop you somewhere else. So, I mean, you know, if you commit a terrible crime, you've made a decision that is now probably going to drop you in a bit of a <laughs> bit of hot water, you know. So, yeah, I think there's a bit of, I think sometimes people like to prescribe to faith no, not faith, um, fate and faith, I guess. But no, I think a lot of the time your decisions are just going to lead you wherever you go, mixed in with a bit of, you know, whoever's around you, wherever you are, you know. I mean, I was born in Australia, very nice country, you know, grew up in a, you know, pretty, pretty. I don't want to say well-off, but well comfortable, you know. So if, without that, I think I would have turned out a very, very different person just out of nowhere. Whether I'd still be into film, yes, maybe no, I don't know, depends. <laughs> I don't know, it's a bit of a lottery half the time, so... And do you look back and reflect on, you know, post-school, it's been five years of great experiences, ups and downs. Do you look back and reflect a lot in life or are you more looking ahead to what's coming? No, I think it's reflection. I think there's there's no, I don't want to say there's no learning without reflection, but it's a mixture of, there's always looking to the future about, okay, well, what things can I go off and do? What things should I do? What things could I do? What do I want to do, more importantly? And then reflecting on what you've done and thinking, because while it's a bit miserable to think, oh, maybe I should have done thing- these things much better, I think there is some benefit in thinking, okay, I think I can improve in a few ways. I think instead of doing, you know, that that year, maybe I should have done this, which would have led to that. Shame I didn't do it, but, you know, hey, I'm still young at the moment. I could probably pull it off at some point. So it's got to be both. you got to, you know, you never want to plan too far ahead, but you want an idea, you know. And what are the next kind of six to 12 months have in store for you? Obviously, knowing that the world is a fast-moving place at the moment, but are there a couple of key projects that really excite you in the near future? Oh, yeah. Um, the book, hopefully, 
<laughs> like George R. R. Martin, my deadlines just keep vanishing off that way somewhere in the future. But um, I think hopefully the book will be done by the end of the year with the intention of sometime next year. Would would love it if it was published. You know, it'd be great. Do me, do me a service. Get it published. Yippee. Um, there's two short films that we were going to do in the middle of the year that are now end of the year. Both of them are looking relatively good. One of them we've been casting because we've just got nothing else to do, really. Uh, we've been casting and we've gotten a good main actor. I mean, really good. Uh, if, the, if this person is listening and knows who they are, thank you. You're, you're incredible. Um, so that's been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because it's actually sort of jumps away from what I'm used to. And the other one's coming along pretty well. And then uh, been writing a narrative podcast with a group of writers from Afters uh, that we started at graduation, and we've carried it on. And we're hopefully going to get to do it this year. Probably, maybe, kind of depends, as, as always. What do we have? Where can we do it? What are we doing? <laughs> but yeah, there's that. I mean, there's just... And there's smaller little things we've got ideas for when we can probably do it. But um, yeah, mainly it's... Um, there's ideas of what's going to be done, whether we get to do it in that time frame, and, you know, up and down sort of. But yeah, it's going to be busy, I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> And Dylan, how do people find out more about your work and get in contact? You know, is it social media, website? What's the best way to get in touch? Um, there's a few ways. There's not many at the moment, sadly, because we've been... <laughs> Everything was going to be up, I swear. <laughs> but um, at the moment, it's uh, mainly if you look on, I think it's Mountains Made or whatever, you will find my contact, I'm sure. It's not too hard to find. And then um, I am on social media. I'm not very big big on it because, I don't know, I'm just, I've never liked it that much, so I've never really invested in it. But... Uh, I think it was about a week ago, uh, my friend and I, we started a production company to bring all our stuff under the same heading and also put, you know, all our productions under the same insurance. <laughs> so just make it easier for us. But um, that'll be going up relatively soon. It's a production company. It's called Growl. Gonna be, uh, mainly it's just to be all the stuff we're making. So that'll appear at some point, I'm sure, hopefully. Doing a huge, huge thanks for your time and for the conversation and thanks for being a guest on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Wishing you all the best. Oh, no, thank you. It was good fun. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender.